just be able to serve one another. You know, that's what church is really about, right? It's serving one another. We serve a mighty God because he served us first. How did he serve us first? He sent his son to die on the cross for us, and he rose, defeated death, and, and that's why we're here today. And sometimes we lose sight of that message. We lose sight of the power that we have in a mighty God. The definition, the title of, of mighty God is champion or hero. Another way you could say that very easily would be to call him our Messiah. Okay? Another word for Messiah. In the Greek, it's Christ. In the English, it's Savior. Okay? So if you hear Jesus Christ, Savior, you're calling him Jesus, Savior, Savior, which is fine because he is our double Savior, right? He saves us from sin and death. Anytime you want to emphasize something in, in a Jewish Hebrew writing, you would um, double the adjective. So I don't have a problem with that at all. If you want to triple the av- adjective, then I think that alone is reserved for the Lord. You can look at that in when the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, that There's only one that is that holy, and that's uh, the Lord God Almighty, and his son Jesus Christ is that now. Um, so we know that Christ is our champion. He championed us at the cross first and for all time, hasn't he? Praise God. So we have a mighty God of the past, and this is kind of like an Old Testament survey um, for this, this passage here. So where do, have we seen our mighty God in Scripture? Oftentimes we see God intervene with his mighty power when hope is almost lost or his kingdom is in danger. He will always come by and he will make sure um, that his kingdom is protected. And it's safe. One of the examples of this is during Noah's time, when man did evil all the time, God stepped in to save that remnant of Noah and his family. Uh, When he calls his people out of Egypt, God steps in with the ten plagues to prove that he has the power and the authority. Uh, When Herod, when, uh, not Herod, the other guy, uh, when Pharaoh hardened his heart, right? And then when the Pharaoh changes his mind and they're destined for destruction at the edge of the Red Sea, God protects them with cloud and fire by day and night, and then he parts the Red Sea. He gets in there and then he destroys the army of the Egyptians. So later on, when they're out wandering in the wilderness, and they're complaining that they don't have enough food, they don't have enough water, God provides from there as well. We have manna coming from heaven. We have water coming from a rock a couple of times. At Mount Sinai, Moses actually gets to see the full power and the, of our mighty God. And God says, I will show you what I can show you, but I can't show you the whole thing because if I show you the whole thing, you will surely die. Man can't be in the presence of holiness. 
right? That's what we've always, we're longing to get back to. We're trying to get back to holiness. What is holiness? It's the lack of sin. There's no sin in holiness. To say that God is holy, 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 it's to say that he is the embodiment of sinlessness, okay? And so to get back to our save, to our heavenly father, we need a savior, and that's what God provided through his son. And so he had that plan from the beginning, especially after Adam and Eve sinned. Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And what does it manifest on Moses? He glows, right? He glows for, I don't know, like a month or something like that. But he has to put a veil over himself so he doesn't, uh, people won't stare at him and, and go blind. But that we know that glory fades on Moses, right? Um, but we have a glory that will never fade when we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, right? That's what um, it says in the Hebrews. Whoa, you're getting, all the, you're getting all the books today. So Jesus, or so God's people, they turn away from him. But God is there. God is there with Joshua, and in fact, he commands Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. It says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a mighty commandment. God shows up later on in Judges when it gets a little bit more bleak, when the people really start turning away to foreign idols and gods and and things like sexual immorality and sacrificing to idols and things of that nature and god rises up gideon to be the champion of the people and if you know anything about gideon he doesn't scream champion does he but if you look at moses if you look at moses and what he started off with he doesn't really scream champion either. Yes, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter by adoption, but in that case, adoption, it would be uh, straight up. Um, so, he shows up, Gideon's got this thing going on, and he's like, what am I going to do? Um, you need to be my champion. You need my champion. He hems and haws. He throws out his fleece, as you may or may not know. He runs down into the camp at night, and they say, well, I had a dream. What was the dream? It was Gideon, and that's Gideon and God. And so then he has courage to take on the things, and he does some mighty things uh, for the Lord. But as soon as Gideon goes away, the people, they revert back. He, the point is that he was full of fear but willing to serve. And God sees that and he says, I can work with that. I'm willing to go. I'm full of fear, but I'm willing to go. And that's when a mighty God shows up, right? You look at Gideon, you're saying, well, he's pretty small. He's the least of his household. And his dad's house is the least of that. How can he do anything? But with God, everything is possible. We also see when God's people cling to him in times of trouble, God shows up. We see this with King Hezekiah in Isaiah that we're kind of going over right now. We see it with King David. 
When King David gets in some difficult situation, he cries out to God. And even with King Saul, when King Saul, when he starts his ministry or when he starts his kingship, he knows that he's in trouble and he can't do it without the Lord and he clings to the Lord and God delivers him to save his people as well. But there's a responsibility for us to not only cling to the Lord, but to stay clinging to the Lord and to listen and obey. Just like any time we have kids, we want them to listen and obey. It's nice for them to listen, but if they don't obey, then they don't really follow through with what they've been told, have they? And so they get the hand of correction sometimes, or the corner of time out. That's right. <laughs> or both, as the case was our house last night. Um, God is mighty over his enemies wherever he goes. Nations rise up under his power and they fall due to his power. Why? Because they chose to obey the Lord or they didn't. We see this with the nation of Israel several times. We see him listening and obey. Um, Karen's going back to a regular room, by the way. I just got a text from Phil. So, yay. Yeah, so we'll keep, keep her in your prayers because... What she has, it can go either way, but praise God for that. Um, why? Because the nations, they choose to obey the Lord, and they do or they don't, right? We see this with King David. When he is walking with the Lord, things go well with him. As soon as he takes this break and he starts to look at his kingdom and what he has done, God rips his kingdom away from him, right? Through his son, there's some nasty things that go on in David's life. And then we also see the nation of Babylon. We see the nation of Babylon being blessed by the Lord because of the disobedience of the Israelites. And God's with King Nebuchadnezzar. But then Nebuchadnezzar says, look what I've done. And what happens, William? That's right, he turns into a bird man for seven years. Seven stinking years. How would you like that? I, I don't go against God, mostly because of that story. Right? I don't want to sprout feathers. We have a mighty God. He is packaged as a baby and sent to the earth to seek and to save the lost through his death and resurrection. And now we get to save, we get to serve him, those, the God who loves us. Point number two, God's m mighty for our daily living. He's mighty over sin. He's mighty over death and evil. First, we'll start with evil. God is mighty over evil. The God of the universe, the God of creation. Another title for that is Yahweh. If you ever hear the, that's God of creation. That's the title. That's what it means, okay? The unbound one, unbound by time, matter, and space. They cannot contain him. Okay, we cannot fathom that as with our finite minds. A God that cannot be contained by time, matter, and space. He is outside of it. He's the creator of it. Therefore, he um, is so much more than it. That also speaks to his holiness, I think, as well. And yet he was able to take that divine nature and stuff it into a vulnerable little baby. A baby that would, was born to die. 
Have you ever thought of Jesus like that? There's a song by, I think it's by Fernando Ortega, A Baby Born to Die. It's a great, great Christmas song. It's a story song. That's why we don't sing it um, on Sunday mornings. But it is a great song. And Fernando Ortega is really good uh, artist to follow anyway. Um, but A Baby Born to Die is puts it in perspective. When God sent his son to earth, he was already destined for the cross. Already destined for the cross. The timing was protected by our Heavenly Father. And I think that's pretty amazing in itself as well. So, he came to save us from the power of sin and death. The mighty God who gives his divine nature so we can escape sin, death, and evil. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 4 Three and four says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to him by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Right? He promised to come and save us from our sins. He promised to come and eradicate sin the second time. He's going to wipe it out. Those are some of the precious promises he's given us. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption because caused by human desires. What's another one that he's given us? He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit that allows his divine nature, his divine power to work through us. God chooses his church to work with so it can change the world for the better. I'm convinced that the church has staved off the end of time. The, I don't know, the revelation story. Because of, we keep coming back, we keep bringing a revival back to um, each one of the, us first. And then... Uh, all the Gentiles and all the and even the Jewish nation, right? It's because of His might. When we depend on Him, when we get that perspective correct, it is He that changes the hearts of men, not me. He, not me. Because of who He is, not our strength, His. God is mighty over sin. He has won the battle. He has opened the door to get back to the Father. Folks, we are broken people in need of saving from our sins. Amen? Yes, pastor. Right? I'm a broken person. I need saving from my sin. Okay? You're like, hallelujah. You can say that one again. I'll give you an amen for that one, right? Uh, but we all are. We all are. We all cannot measure up to a standard, which is perfection. Why? I just, we had this discussion last night with uh, a fellow. What if God allowed one sin into heaven? Says you could do everything but this one sin. You can do, um, everything's got to be good except for this one sin. You can do, allow that to go to heaven. What would happen? That one sin would corrupt the rest of the perfection up there, right? So God's got to eradicate all sin in heaven. 
Okay, that's why his standard is perfection. How do I ever reach that perfection? I cannot do it. So he sends an intercessor of his son between man and God to save us and rescue us from this present evil age. And that's how he's done it. Okay, he opened the door to get back to the Father. Folks, we are broken people in need of saving from our sins. He doesn't have to save us. And he doesn't save us because of what we've done. Because we will never, ever be good enough. We've talked about that several times. When people say, I'm a good person. How do you answer that? Oh? Are you perfect? That sounds kind of mean sometimes, but that's eventually where you're going to go. Eventually where you're going to go. Tell me about your goodness. Huh. But haven't I seen you do this before or, or you bring about some of these things? I've done this before. Have you ever done that? That's a great way to do it. Okay. So you talk about your own brokenness. Have you ever done this? I've lied before. Have you ever lied? I've stolen. Have you ever stolen? You see how that's a little bit more, um, it doesn't make me look like I'm up on a, this pedestal, right? But if you can come down to their level, put them at the same level, what I depend on is a Savior, Jesus Christ. And he can bring me, he is the way, the truth, and life, and he brings me back to the Father. He saves us because that is his character. He has a desire to do so. Isn't that exciting? He knows we sin, and he went to the cross with a passion to save his people. That's what drove him. He loves us so much that he bored that which hated him to save that which he loved. He bore that which hated him, our sins, our death, our sneering, our rebuking of him, our defiance, our rebellion, to save that which he loved us. How can he do that? I, sometimes I struggle with that. Do you guys ever struggle with that? Why would God save me? Because he loves me. He loves you, folks. God could never love me. Well, you're wrong. You have a small God and you have a small viewpoint of God and you have a pretty big ego of your sin if you don't think God can love you. That's the blunt truth of it. I heard that and I'm like, wow, you're right. That is very egotistical. Say that I can sin so big that God can't forgive me? That's not true. It's a lie straight from hell that we tend to believe, right? I'm never going to be good enough. Well, yeah, good, good, amen. You got that one. But God is. Praise God, right? Praise God. He's mighty over death. Jesus came to the earth as a baby. He lived a life worthy of the calling that the Lord placed on him, and he did this perfectly. God's standard, remember, is perfection. Jesus answered that call of perfection to show us he loves us. What is the bigger, biggest sacrifice that we can make in our lives to show a full picture of love? Well, we find that in 1 John 3.16. It says, we know, that what we, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us so that we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. How are you going to show the love of Christ? By sacrificing daily 
to those who may not know him and especially to those who know him right they will know we are Christians by our love when we allow division to come into the church that does not display Christ's love because Christ's house is not divided Not only did he die for us, but he is our rescuer. He rose up from the grave. He ascended into heaven where he sits at God's mighty right hand. He is the one and only, he's the only one strong enough, mighty enough to reach back and pull us up with him. But we have to grab his hand, don't we? We have to reach out and grab his hand and he can save us if we just take hold. There is that paradox that happens right between god's omniscient power and his saving grace and free will people will argue that god knows who he's called and i'm sure he does because i think god calls all but there's that free will that happens in there too and i can't explain it that we have we have to grab a hold And once we grab a hold, his plan for our life is pretty amazing. So let's talk about that. A mighty God packaged as a baby and sent to the earth to seek and save the lost through his death and resurrection. Now we get to serve him who loves us. When you look at the communion table, I should have saved the sermon for next week, but I I, I couldn't pull it up. No, it would have been two weeks from now, so I don't know if we'll have sermons that week. Um, in his service. You ever see that around church? It's on our communion table. In his service. When we take, yeah, it's on the cross right there. IHS, okay? You see that symbol a lot of times? Thank you, Brian. I knew it was around here somewhere. In his service. That's what that stands for. We are no longer our own. We were bought with a price. We need to honor God with Our bodies is what it says in that passage of scripture. In his service, life change happens when we take hold of God's mighty hand. We are saved from the power of sin and death, and we have to face evil, but we do it under the authority of God's mighty love. Does evil go away just because we accept Christ into our heart and we have a relationship with him? No. Sometimes evil comes even harder, doesn't it? I just pointed that out to somebody the other day. Said, you guys are getting your life and, and starting this faith journey again. Do you think it's any coincidence that you're having a hard time in your marriage? No. There's no coincidence there. Right? The Lord is calling you back to him and Satan doesn't want you to go. Whoa. Right? But I am convinced, Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, nor worries about tomorrows, nor not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we study Jesus? Why do we study the life of Jesus? Because God's love is revealed through the life of Jesus. If we were going to be students of a rabbi, shouldn't we study what the rabbi is doing? Jesus Christ is our rabbi. We need to study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's daily reading in his word. If you've never read the Bible before, you need to start Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very, very similar. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. And then John is a story written from the perspective of Jesus' best friend. It's really neat. The fact that God is fighting for us gives me, and it hopefully gives you hope, to see tomorrow. Hope for the future. It gives me courage to face tomorrow. And here are four battles that our mighty God helps us win. Four battles. Combat, combat the lies of the enemy. You see that in your bulletin there. Have you ever felt this way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? You ever felt that way? King David did because he's the one that wrote it. It's Psalm 13.2. You're not alone in the struggle. That's the first lie. You're all alone. Nobody else has done this. Nobody else has gone through this before. Nobody else will understand. Those are all lies from hell, right? To confess and say, I'm going through the struggle. I'm having a hard time. Um, so how do we combat the lies of the enemy? With the truth. It's important, by the way, to speak the truth in love. So you can't just blast them with the truth because that can be just as damaging. It's, it is correct, but it's not the way Jesus did it. And if we want to walk as Jesus walked, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, right? 1 John 2, 6. Man, Pastor, are you ever going to get off that verse? No, I'm not. That might be my theme for next year. Um... We need to live in the truth. Hebrews 4.12 4, says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. God's word is truth. The best way to put our, our mighty God into action in our lives is through his word. Stand up to the lives to defeat the enemy. If you know Lies are coming out of the person's mouth. Sometimes it is important to rebuke them right away. Sometimes it's important to ask good questions. Like, how did you come to that conclusion? This is a great tool in marriage. I myself like to bottom line the problem. Well, we need to do this. My wife's like, what? How did you come to that conclusion? I know that's going through her mind, but she might be balking at what I just said because it may be a little bit extreme. We can't do that. We got to do this, 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 and then, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, then she comes to the same conclusion, okay? But to ease some of that stress, how did you come to that conclusion is a great 
tool to have in your tool belt. Right? Because it is the truth. And maybe they might be just wrong. Or there's a better way to refine that process. And if you look through that and you allow them to speak it out loud, they can even hear it for themselves where that's going to trip up the situation. How did you come to that conclusion? Well, this is where my thought process went. That is a hard one for me because a lot of times my conclusion comes after several days of thinking about this problem, right? And so now I got to go back three, four days and remember, where did this start with? How did I get, how did I get to that conclusion? Which is annoying to me um, as a person who's already come to the bottom line. But I know you're, it's going to be hard to believe, but there's been times I've been wrong. I know, I know. You didn't have to laugh that hard. <laughs> Just kidding. I laughed that hard too. And so when I go explain it to my wife, she goes, oh, really? I mean, she doesn't have to say anything because I can hear it in myself and I'm just, and just grinds to a halt. So then I say, oh, yeah? What would you do in that situation? Well, I wouldn't do it like that. I know that. Oh, and as we've grown closer together, those go farther and farther apart, right? Those, those times of, of great disagreement. It is important, especially when you have kids, to be on the same page. Even when you have adult kids, amen? When you're giving advice. Number two, don't put off tomorrow what needs to be done today. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. If God is prompting you to do something, you should do it. This is uncomfortable, folks. Let me tell you, I, can, I get prompted by the Holy Spirit to do things, and I am like, I don't want to do that. Uh, I will pretend like I didn't hear that. I, I will come up with every excuse in the book to not do that. And sometimes I don't do that. You know what that is called? It's called quenching the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. Trust me. Because the next time, he doesn't scream as loud in your head that you need to do something. Right? You need to have patience in this situation. You need to learn to have, ask good questions in this situation. You need to go talk to this person even though you don't want to. Oh, man, that one's hard. But I've also found every time that I do, it goes well with me. And I don't fight near as hard as I do, or he gives me harder things to talk to. Man. Um, but I, I try hard. And when I, the problem with quenching the Holy Spirit like that is it hardens your heart. And when your heart gets hard like that, you, you aren't in tune to right and wrong as as much things become a lot more gray area but when you walk and step with the spirit god is there showing shining a light on what is right and wrong and you can pick out some of those little things that looked a little bit more gray they're not gray anymore they're black because you can see it and maybe it's speckled a black there's some good in this but this is what's turning that corner and making it wrong and so we need to Watch out for that. 
but when e- we also know that evil wins when good people stay silent, right? That's Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I believe, said that about Hitler. Um, when the church stays silent, evil wins. There's a guy running for president right now that's um, making Hitler his hero. I don't know if you know that or not. He's a pop artist. It's crazy, but it's it's true. Build up your brothers and sisters. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Hope helps us move forward. Hope changes our perspective and allows for healing. What happens when your patient loses hope? Nurses out there, what happens when your patient loses hope? Yeah, they ain't going to make it. They get sicker. They, they lose hope. They're, they're, gonna, they're done for, right? We can't have that. That is, when we lose spiritual hope, we lose that as well. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 11, it says, For God chose to save us, through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, he can live, or we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. When we build each other's up, it builds the body of Christ and sets an examples for others to follow. That's encouraging. I hope that's encouraging to you. When we build others up, it builds the body of Christ and sets examples for others to follow. So who is one of your biggest encouragers? Think about that. Think about that. That's good. One of my biggest encouragers is my mom, right? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to charge you with what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to call my mom and I'm going to thank her for being an encourager. Now, you don't have to call my mom and thank, you can if you want. Thank you for encouraging Pastor Shane. He really needs it. Can you encourage him to do this, this, and this too? Just kidding. Um, no, call somebody in your life that's an encouragement. Yeah, and let them know. Thank you so much for that. Life would be so much harder if I didn't have that. So... Um, Remind me Monday at 9 a.m. to call my mom. That's how I remember things like that, right? That's something you guys can do too. That's what your phone is a good tool for. And then you have your homework done for next Sunday when I quiz you. You're like, what? I didn't know there was a quiz. Number four, be looking around the corner. Big things come in little packages right? When we are willing, God steps up and shows up. Big things come in little packages. Maybe God is answering your prayer, but it's going to take time for them to develop. They're crying out like we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, where are you? God answered their prayer in 0 A.D., Jesus didn't manifest himself to 30 years later. That's a 30-year prayer. Come, Emmanuel. Where are you? Big things come in little packages. 
then we hear the cry of the newborn. And we got to remember the cry of the newborn when we're, when we're rocking a colicky baby or something to that extent, that someday they will be a 20-something blessing. Or when we're working with that 20-something and saying, you need to become a man, that he can become a man um, when he turns to Jesus. Right? It's not easy. It's not easy. But if we put in the hard work now, it helps a lot down the road. What do you think about... What you think about, you bring about. That's a Mary Kay-ism. What you think about, you bring about. Right? So if you think positive, then positive things are going to happen. Um, does it always happen? No. I'm, you know, because that's a human saying. But you, there's a lot of truth in it too, right? If I have hope in Jesus Christ, I see Jesus Christ show up in my life. Okay? So if I'm thinking about how can I be like Christ, it's going to show up more and manifest itself more in my life. If I start thinking about, whoa, I need this or I need this, um, woe is me, that woe shows up in my life, right? So where are our eyes set? Are they staying at home? Or are they wandering? Are we keeping our eyes on our own partners? Are we keeping our eyes where they belong? Are we coveting something new? Are we coveting that new toy? Oh dear. That new hammer. Yeah. New gun. New truck. New car. New toy. Right? Are we content with what we have, right? Stepping on toes, pastor. Don't worry, I'm stepping on mine. It's that season, right? Matthew 6, 22 through 23 is the last scripture we're going to go through. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, you, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness is? Wow. I wouldn't either. How many times have we walked down a rabbit hole that we thought was righteousness and we found out it was self-righteousness? That is a deep darkness. It's dangerous. So my question, are we pursuing darkness or light? Have we as a church, have we fallen asleep? One of the biggest dangers of a community is when, it, when the church slumbers. When it rests back on its laurels. When it says, look at what we have done. Look at how we've served this community. And when we start looking at our own selves, God says, oh yeah, let's see how you handle that by yourself. We always want to be dependent on our Lord and Savior for our strength, for our mighty God. We have a lot to offer, and yet sometimes we stay silent. We stay silent in that conversation. We stay silent when uh, good people start to do bad things. We stay silent when our best friend decides to go a different way than what the Lord has. And we don't step up because we're 
afraid that we're going to lose that friendship. We stay silent um, for too long. We, we will waste away to nothing. Our community suffers. If you are brave enough to take courage to stand up for others with the grace of God, mind you, speaking the truth in love, we do this because we have a mighty God has put his grace on us. Amen? He did that in the form of a baby sent to earth to seek and save the lost through his death and the resurrection is a great story that only he could write. And now we are in his service. Do you see how that works? After you accept salvation, the walk is in his service. It's pretty amazing. Don't stay silent. Speak up for the little guy. Sometimes that might be you, but do it with the grace and love that God has for each one of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are a blessing to each one of us here. We pray that you would um, wrap your loving arms around uh, Karen and others that are sick. Uh, We pray that you would be a light in a dark place, Lord. That you would give us the words of compassion to say that would be truthful, yet... um, compassionate. Lord, fill us with a love and a desire to serve this community that we might be able to reach out to the lost and the broken, to the hurting, and give them hope because they can have a mighty God in their life. They can have a blessing as well. Guide and direct us in your ways, Lord. Lead us and protect us as we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum.